At Dot & Company, we believe that all agencies deserve amazing account managers and that all of those account managers deserve to be supported, encouraged, and loved on. That's why we started Cam Community, a membership only for account managers. And inside, you'll gain access to the exact training we use to train our own client-facing account managers, but also access to all of our SOPs, processes, and live trainings on a variety of topics. If you're an account manager, this is the place you've been waiting for. Learn more at dotandcompany.co forward slash cam community. I think getting out of the mindset that nobody can sell except for me is the first step. You have to realize that if other people are doing it, then you can do it too. Um, so I think we have this self-limiting belief that just keeps us from even taking the step. Welcome to the Happy Clients Podcast, brought to you by Dot & Company. Whether you're a virtual assistant, an agency owner, or a client-facing account manager, we all deal with clients. Lucky for you, client management is what we do best. Now, let's dig in, chat cam life, and have some fun along the way. Cheers to Happy Clients. Well, Joey, we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. We've heard such great things in the agency world about you and your mastermind. So we were so excited to have you featured here on the Happy Clients Podcast. Um, but why don't you kind of take it away, fill us in. Awesome. How in the world did you get involved in the agency world? Oh, um, I'm stuck here, I think. I've been here for quite a while. My career prior to starting my last company. So I sold my last company and then started this one which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, prior to that, I was the VP of sales of a HubSpot agency back when HubSpot was just starting, really. They're just getting their partner program rolling. And so I was a, a VP of sales there. When I left there, I ended up starting my last company, which was a company called Tribe, which we were essentially, you see them all over the place now, like these outsourced uh, sales agencies, lead gen agencies. They're all over your LinkedIn inbox and email. Um, I did it before it was cool. So, uh, either kudos to me, I was early or I was too early. I don't know. Um, but it was a company called Tribe. Uh, Tribe is a business. Ended up selling that uh, late 2019. And then that was for agencies as well. And then um, started what is now called Apex Revenue because we did a rebrand, but was sales-driven agency, formerly known as, uh, where we actually come in and we build out sales operations and sales teams for uh, agencies predominantly, but I would say pretty much any established B2B service company at this point. And so our niche is building sales departments, building sales teams, helping people really refine sales process um, and do it for really expensive things like agency services. Amazing. That is definitely who we're kind of, you know, involved with on a day to day, these agency owners and definitely people who are really interested in taking that next step and, you know, how do we sort of, you know, it's all about the leads, get more sales. Yep. So sort of, I think your demographic is, um, to say the least successful, but how do you kind of take that stepping stone from maybe small agency to like big league player? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. uh, and I think this goes for, I think sales is extremely challenging. If you're looking categorically across marketing, sales, ops, account management, uh, finance, they're all hard in their own way. And they're hard to offload to other people. I think sales is uniquely challenging because I think that a lot of agencies get in this mindset and it's not an inaccurate mindset necessarily. Um, it's just a hurdle you have to jump over, which is 
I started this thing. I know my service like the back of my hand. I know my market like nobody else. Nobody can sell as good as me. It's going to be hard to offload this to a salesperson. I hear that all day, every day. I'm sure you guys hear that as well from your clients, uh, which is not completely untrue, right? I do think that you do know your market the best. You do know your product the best. And if you have 10 deals lined up to close and a salesperson has 10 deals, you're probably going to close more. And there's reasons for that. It's because you're the owner, you're the founder, you have inherent trust built into that relationship, whereas a salesperson has to build that. So I'd take a step back and say, uh, most agencies, if they are, you know, I typically work with agencies who are seven or eight figures is our target market. But let's just say it's under seven figures in the six figure market. Let's say we've figured out our product or our service market fit. Um, I think getting out of the mindset that nobody can sell except for me is the first step. You have to realize that if other people are doing it, then you can do it too. Um, so I think we have this self-limiting belief that just keeps us from even taking the step. The second thing is, is once you've, you've decided that I can, in fact, do this, then we have to also make the decision of setting a salesperson. If I was to eventually get a salesperson in-house, setting them up for success, which is really three elements. It's the process you install them in. It's the management leadership and coaching framework that you put them in. And it is the enablement, the technology, the resources, the scripts and templates and the things that can make them successful. If you can do those three elements, then it makes their job a lot easier to start. Um, but I think that's obviously easier to say than it is to do. And if you're not ready to hire a salesperson, I think the fundamental aspects of doing sales well is knowing who you serve. You know, I'm a, a big proponent of having your, you know, we call them a tap, a target account profile. Other people call them ICP or, or whatever it might be. Knowing truly your target accounts, who do you really want to work with? What can you do best in the world to service them? Even if there's a bunch of other people that are better at Facebook ads. Like, can you be the best Facebook ads person or, or company for e-commerce companies, X, Y, Z, whatever the, the demographic criteria is? Um, knowing who those people are and, and knowing what you do for them is step one. Step two is having a consistent commitment to doing the activity. I know it's not sexy, but it's just like, hey, if you can commit an hour a day to making 10 to 15 quality touch points with accounts on your dream list, it's almost impossible that something doesn't come from that. Mm. And if that's where you have to start, that's where you have to start. Obviously, there's a lot more complexity that you can add to sales. But if I'm boiling it down to fundamentals, it's know who you serve, know what you do for them and what's unique, and then commit to an hour a day of touching 10 to 15 of them. Mm. Power out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, power hour. I also recently went through this whole process like you were just talking about, like offloading sales from founder to sales team. Yes. And it was harder to start that process than it was to actually do it. It was more, mm -hmm. like you said, that mindset of, yep. can someone else do this? Am I leaving money on the table? Am I going to screw over our entire business by not continuing to do the sales? And obviously like, I can jump in at any time, but yeah. offloading that and training other people to do it wasn't as hard as I thought it was in my head. So I really yeah. love the way that you kind of put that. Um, a question, when we're talking about sales, do you see a very unique difference in skill set between, let's say, a somebody taking sales calls versus someone actually setting up those calls and doing yeah. outreach 
Like, how do you identify what skill set is the best for an agency? There's different schools of thought here. There is the full cycle sales rep, salesperson. They uh, open new business, meaning they do lead generation and outbound. They nurture those leads and then they also close. So they, they take a prospect from cold to close. That's my preferred model uh, for the record. The other camp is the sales development rep account executive model, right? Getting the SDRs to basically drum up new business. They fill the pipeline, the account executives nurture and close. Um, I have been a proponent of that at different parts of my career. Um, I have since kind of gone away from that model. I think it works in certain spaces. I don't know that it works best for agencies. Um, and that's not a blanket statement. I've seen plenty of cases. I've built plenty of operations where SDRs and AEs can exist, but there's a lot of issues with that. Um, so going to the full cycle rep, what I look for typically, um, and again, I'm looking, the world that I operate in is typical deals, at least 50K, if not six figures. And so there, there's a, a certain level of acumen that I look for in a sales rep. Um, we have this sales rep assessment that we do internally, we call the 2A assessment. And so 2A stands for attitude and aptitude, two A's. Genius, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so attitude is core value fit and desire, like hunger. I can't teach that. I can't teach you to be a core value fit. I can't teach you to, to want it and, and, and wake up every morning desiring to do it. Aptitude is skill set. Do they possess the skills that, that are necessary to be successful? So one, do they have the ability to break into accounts? Uh, can that gain attention through outbound sales? Um, after that, can they create affinity and likability in the sales process? Because affinity and likability, though they will never sell because someone likes them, no one's going to cut you a $100,000 check because they like you. Sorry. But what likability and affinity do towards your brand is it builds trust and it enables you to get to the next step of a sales transaction, which is credibility. The more someone likes you, the more at-bats they're going to give you to prove that you're credible. And they will buy based off of credibility. So having a sales rep that can open a deal and gain attention, which you have to have, build affinity, trust, and likability with your company, with you specifically, and then have the ability to prove credibility because we all know that someone's going to cut a check if you're credible and they trust you. And so having that rep who's probably in that one to five years of sales experience in the agency space is sufficient, who can talk a little bit about business acumen, they're going to ask good questions. All this can be taught, by the way. Um, ask good business questions that can be likable, you know, and, and build trust and rapport. And, and ultimately can convey the solution to the pain points that they've discovered in their process. That's how you're going to ultimately um, get a sales rep that's successful. The biggest key to having any salesperson be successful is you have to get up out of the seat that they're supposed to sit in, right? That's good. We too often sit in the seat that we want someone else to occupy and we wonder why they're not doing well. It's because we're in that throne because we're unwilling to relinquish control. And like you said, you're going to lose deals. You're going to lose opportunities. It's a sacrifice to hire a salesperson at first, but it's an investment in the future. If I can't get up out of the seat, they will never be able to sit in this thing. And that was you know. something definitely that we learned internally at DOT, but I think that also like waterfalls into when we, you know, are working with different agencies too. And I, I kind of have a two part question, but yes. I think some of the agencies we work with want to, you know, have their team feel empowered and 
really sort of move them up from, um, you know, maybe junior role up to something like maybe a salesperson is that person that's sort of like invested in the business um, versus sort of somebody who has to learn the business. Is there any sort of like advantage to either one of those? Yes and no. I think um, I don't put all the stock in like personality styles necessarily, but I do put some stock. Um, so for instance, we do sales recruiting, sales hiring. We also build hiring systems inside of businesses to help them do their own recruiting. And we just kind of advise on that. We force a personality assessment into the sales process, not because it gives us the thumbs up to hire someone, but it gives us the thumbs down to let someone go uh, from the process. Because I've literally never, never met a salesperson that has non-existent D on the disc assessment, has like a zero D who's ever gone out and, and been hungry to go out and find new business consistently, nurture new business and close new business. Never had it happen once. Um, that doesn't mean that they can't take inbound leads and nurture and, and that kind of thing, but they're never going to go out and hunt for. And so to your question, someone internally, I would say, do they have the makeup to stay, not just be hungry for a season, like it sounds like what they want, but can they stay hungry? Can they really face adversity? Because sales, it's a losing game. It's kind of like baseball. If you guys are into baseball at all or anyone who's listening, um, you're going to the Hall of Fame if you get a hit three out of 10 times. Like in sales, you're going to get a hit one and a half to three out of 10 times, which means you lose more than you win. And so can you face rejection and face loss at a substantially higher multiple than you are facing You know, winning? That's what I really look for. And so, yes, if someone has the ability and they understand the brand, they understand the product, they understand the market, they can be very successful transitioning to sales. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of factors that, that come with that. That's really valuable, just information. I, I like the baseball analogy, not that I'm, yeah. you know, <laughs> a big baller over here, but I totally understand the winning to losing. And I think where a lot of the agencies that we work with, why I ask this question, I do have an angle, I promise is that sometimes um, in our role as like client facing and being that person to maybe even upsell or even look for opportunities, do they go hand in hand in terms of sales and account management? And even if that person, that salesperson is different, how does that information kind of go to the account manager? So they're kind of like equipped to be ready for that upsell, yeah. ready for the next step. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that I like to fractionalize those two roles. So I, I do believe separating sales and account management for a number of reasons. One being um, sales rep profitability in the agency space is really challenging to accomplish um, because agencies typically operate with a 15% net margin on average. Smaller agencies may be higher, like 30. But as you start to grow, your, your margins are the first things to go. Uh, mostly because, and this is probably a problem that you guys solve at DOT, is um, when you grow, you no longer hire revenue generating roles and you really start hiring operational roles that don't drive revenue. Um, and if anything, they're just, they, they increase overhead without necessarily increasing top line for you. And so, whereas a salesperson increases overhead, but they should increase revenue. So I like to fractionalize those two roles because I really want salespeople to focus on driving revenue because that's where our profitability comes from. 
Whereas if they're split between driving revenue and servicing accounts, it gets really tough to get the numbers we need. Um, that said, there's a huge correlation between sales and account management. Um, account management, if there is something to upsell or cross-sell, um, they need to be looking for those opportunities and they need to be posturing for how is it that we can get those opportunities. I'm a big fan of introducing some level of foot in the door offer, if you're familiar with that terminology, or a yes. stepstone offer or a tripwire or whatever it might be in the sales process. A lot of people don't think about that in the account management process, though. We should have something that if we identify a problem or a, an opportunity, we should be able to introduce a foot in the door while they're already a client to then get them to be a bigger client for us. So what is an audit we can perform mid-engagement? What is a roadmap we can do mid-engagement? What is a strategy intensive or blueprint or whatever you want to call it that we can do once we have noticed the opportunity? So that's huge. And I think training the account management side of things to really understand those opportunities. When do we look for them? When do we create those opportunities and have those conversations? That's a massive uh, needle mover for the business. Um, so that's one thing. I think setting up compensation for account managers with that as an incentive is a way to help train the eye for those opportunities. In terms of creating continuity between the two, I think having a really well-defined and well-documented sales process, like I'm a big fan of if it doesn't get documented, it didn't happen um, in the sales process. So the sales rep is documenting how they get into that opportunity. Every meeting that they take has extensive notes. And if you use HubSpot or whatever the tool is, you can just use snippets, you know, hashtag first time appointment note. And it gives you all the things you need to fill in for that meeting. And then that should be given to account management. You know, I think a lot of companies operate so fractionalized. I'm a proponent of fractionalizing it. So fractionalized, they don't even look at the past history with that client before they got there. They look at the proposal or the foot in the door offer blueprint, whatever, but they didn't look at like, how'd they even get here? Why'd they say yes in the first place? What happened in the first conversation? Like we record every call, it gets transcribed. Analytics happen for every single call. Like go back and watch those things. And I promise you're going to find opportunities to better serve them in account management just by looking at how the process was documented. I actually love that because, you know, working with account managers all day long, we see them like, oh, what's the scope of work? What what did we promise mm -hmm. them in the sales call? That's such a takeaway for me to even think before the sales call, before the scope of work or before the scope was like determined, like what is mm -hmm. this relationship and um, what was discussed, what was documented? We love documenting everything over here. Right. Um, so that's so valuable for me to just even, Taylor will always laugh. I'm not the salesperson. I'll say yes to everything and promise everything <laughs> sure. and forget about my own family and my own health to give that to you. Um, so the kind of thought process in just the mindset of it all, right. To just kind of realize what's happening before they come to you as an account manager is so valuable for sure. Yeah. And I think it's often miss or overlooked as an opportunity. I like to liken it to like a car. If I'm going into a dealership and I have this conversation and I test drive some different cars and I end up saying, Hey, I want to build this particular model. Um, I'm big in a truck. So it's like, I want this TRX model with these add-ons and whatever. If that dealership wanted to keep me and ultimately you and I both know profitability comes from retention at the end of the day. So how long you can retain a client is ultimately how much more profit you can get out of a client. 
if that dealership wanted me to come back for the next car or when I wanted to get my car serviced or when I wanted to add something onto the truck, whatever it might be, if they would have looked back and understood how I got there, the trucks that I tested, the conversations that I had, the features I was interested in, the features I didn't move forward with for whatever reason, maybe it was money, maybe it was something else. If they knew that and then they serviced me after I bought the truck with that context, it's far more likely they're going to find more opportunity for me to either send business their way. Great. That's pure profit from a cost per acquisition perspective or to continue to upsell, cross-sell with that dealership. And so a lot of opportunity there. I think a lot of agencies can find some gold um, doing it that way. Yeah, totally. So for agencies who are in growth mode, because those are the ones that we generally are speaking to, they're growing, they're scaling, and the agency owner's probably still doing sales, Yep. but they know that to take it to the next level, that needs to be off their plate. What process do you generally take an agency through to get them set up with the sales team, like hiring? Sure. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So when, when we work with a client, we we're very, we do two things for them. We build sales operations for them. So that's their sales technology, their sales playbooks, their sales plays, the different elements for sales people in general to be successful, enablement. And then we also do outsource sales management. So if you have salespeople, we will manage those salespeople in a fractional, similar to you guys, right? A fractional model to to, to manage salespeople the right way. Um, and we have systems for both. But let's just say hypothetically, someone comes in and works with us and the founder is in sales currently and they don't have a, a well-defined sales process that works well for salespeople. So if you think that, Hey, watch some of my sales call recordings and go use HubSpot or Pipedrive or Salesforce. Um, here's our proposals. If you're just like, hey, I give you money, watch these things go, it's not going to work um, because the way a salesperson has to sell is much different than the way a founder has to sell because we all have trust built in. We're, we are on equal playing fields with our prospects because we're both CEOs, we're both founders, we're both whatever. A salesperson, there's one motive there. They are there to sell you. And, and so the way that they build a sales process has to be built around getting attention, gaining likability, creating credibility, and then you can sell. And so I'm thinking through that lens, let's just say I don't have trust. How would I build the sales process to create trust? What are things that I would do? Um, what are the steps in our sales process currently to get someone through? Is it the right process? Do we need to have a first time appointment, follow-up meeting, foot in the door offer, proposal, like what's our process? And then what are things we call this seeding? What are things that we can give our sales rep to help them seed the sales process with value? We have this thing that we call productized trust. How do you create, everyone knows like the whole productized offers, productized services, right? Or how do we do something that's a lower lift for a higher profitability? Same thing goes for productized trust. What's a low lift that creates more trust? And so having these grab bag of productized trust ideas to give to a sales rep. Hey, after a first time appointment, a first time meeting that goes well, make sure you go ahead and lock in the next meeting. Let's say it's three or four days from now. What are you going to do to seed those four days in between? For us, an example would be, I meet with you guys and you guys are like, hey, yeah, this is great. Let's meet for the next meeting four days from now. Well, I know that your target market's agencies. I'm going to look on your website, see if you have any case studies. I'm going to look at who they were, what their, their typical makeup is from a size, et cetera. 
And I'm just going to go build you a, a 10 company list of lookalikes and say, Hey, thought of you guys, this is who I heard you guys want to go after. Is this still right? I went ahead and built you a list with all their contact information. Use it. Don't, but just want to make sure we're on the same page. That right there was a low lift for me. I can productize that, but it's a massive lift for you of like, oh, wow. One, there's 10 ideal companies we can go after now for no charge. All the research has been done on them. It costs me nothing. And yeah, we're on the same page with this guy. He gets our business. And so are, what are those little micro projects you can give a salesperson that can help them build trust in a sales process that you wouldn't necessarily have to do as a founder because you have the trust? Mm. That's where oh I'd gosh. start. I love that. And Taylor, I feel like that's, that's dot vibes. Like that sort totally. of extra um, vibes. I love it. Dot vibes, just like above and beyond. Right. <laughs> yeah. Makes you stand out. Um, the Disney world think, experience. Yeah. And I'm always one for juicy gossip, but mm. what is the biggest no, no, what not to do? Like, what do you see people doing? And you're like, stop that immediately. That's terrible. Well, it's almost like a double knot. So it's a knot through omission. Um, I think that most sales reps or founder sellers lose a deal in the days between meetings, not on meetings. And so it, the biggest thing I see people not doing is if you had a good call with someone and it's clear that you want to explore working together, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't, while you have them on the call, book them for the next call. 90% of people don't do it. I don't know why it's so simple. It's as simple as saying, Katie, looking forward to our next meeting together. Um, I want to do a little bit of homework in between our next call, but I do want to prioritize that. I've got my calendar open for Thursday, the 9th or Friday, the 10th. How does 9 a.m. on the 9th or 11 a.m. on the 10th work for you? Great. Is your email still Katie at dot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great. That's coming over. Let me know when you see that. Boom, they got it. They accept it. It's on their calendar, right? Now I don't have to chase them down in the inbox. I don't have to compete with every other person in their email inbox to get their time again. I've already got it. And so that's one very simple thing. That's a no-no of like, if you just aren't doing that, start doing that. I promise you're going to have a massive increase just from that little thing um, in terms of how many deals stay in your pipeline and eventually close. Um, so that's one. Such an easy hot tip. Like do yeah. just do that one thing. <laughs> One thing, very easy. Um, the no-nos outside of that, I think, um, I don't love pricing. Uh, I don't love giving people options. If I'm the expert in the room at my craft. And here's the thing. If you are in a sales conversation with me, you have a problem. I don't, right? That's it. And so if that's the case, why would I trust you to make the best decision on this category? I do this all day long. I see agencies, I see B2B companies all day long. I don't give you options because I'm the expert here. And I'm telling you, based on what you told me and where you want to go, this is what we need to do. This is what it costs. Here's what I need to do. You can push back on that and we can change scope, change the goal, change the timeline, whatever it might be. But out the gate, based on the information you gave me, I'm the expert. Here's what you need. And so because of that, I think that far too many people give options. Options create confusion. It's not just one decision on work with me or don't. It's work with them, yes or no, which option? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. And then you start losing momentum. And momentum is the hardest thing to get. It's the hardest thing to keep. Easiest thing to lose. That is literally 
like the best advice ever. And I think that's even good practice when we think about account management or we think about, you know, talking to clients all day long and like, yeah, let's get a regular meeting scheduled. Let's get a regular reporting. Like that sort of momentum, consistency Mm. and reliability is um, so translatable to like different areas of the business. So Um, super high value, Joey. I think this has been a great chat. Um, I love hearing the what not to do, but is there anything else you can kind of add? Any other secrets you want to lend the listeners while we have you? Yeah, I'll play in your world account management for a second. Um, (laughs) not even thinking about sales, but from an account manager's perspective, I think agencies lose clients, not because they're not value valuable but because they don't know how to properly communicate the value they've already driven for a client when they are a client. I mean, we've all had the stories of like, it was going so well. Our cost per acquisition was, you know, our ROAS on our ad spend was, you know, you fill the blank, right? We had a nine X ROAS and they left us because they weren't making enough money. It's like, okay. Were you constantly reminding them in like a not weird, annoying way of the success you've been having? Have you, shown like a, Hey, before and after, like once a quarter, are you getting together with them and like brainstorming and like reminiscing of like, Hey, remember when we were just getting like a two X ROAS and now we're at a nine X, like realize like you're four and a half X more profitable now because of that way to go. And like, put it back on them. Like, as you guys did this, right. Um, we just kind of helped. And so I think that's a big one. Um, because as much as I love acquisition, acquiring new business, I, I very much love retention. And I think we obsess over acquiring new customers and we don't obsess over retaining the customers that we already have. Because like we said, there's nothing more profitable than keeping a client because it costs nothing. It costs something to acquire a customer, right? It's either someone's time, commissions, ad spend, whatever it is to get the client. If you can get them to renew again, you just got another client for the next period or year or whatever it might be for $0 in spend. And so whatever it took you to acquire that client the first year, let's say it's $1,000 just for round number. If you keep them for another contract, it actually costs you $500 per year to acquire them. You keep them for a third year, it's $333 to acquire that customer. And if they refer you to new business, that's $0 in acquisition or cost per acquisition. So that's just straight profit to the bottom line. And if they upsell and cross sell, that costs me nothing as well. And so... I think focusing on retention is where a lot of agencies struggle to drive profitability for the business. That would be my one thing. That's a good one. I'm, I was like, I need to clip this and share this with everyone on our team. So well, it's good. good for it's you guys. Cause that's what you do. You help create yeah, that experience. Totally. Um, Joey, this was so helpful. I learned a lot. I have like a full page of notes um, even just for our own team. So thank you so, so much. If people are looking to build out their team, sales team, get help with their agency, tell us where everyone can find totally. you and pick your brain. Yeah, I got two places. One is apexrevenue.com. So if you're interested in building a sales operation or you have salespeople and you want to outsource sales management with our sales management framework, go to apexrevenue.com. And then the other one we haven't talked about, but I have a mastermind for seven and eight figure agency CEOs uh, called the Best Damn Agency Mastermind aptly named because it's the uh, best. <laughs> yeah, it's the best damn agency. So uh, the website there is bestdammastermind.com. You can go there, check out the video. Um, it's a awesome group. 
really, really tight knit. Have some cool people come in there and speak. We just had a $90 million a year in revenue agency come in and talk, uh, share his reminiscings of how he got to 90 million, how he'd do it again if he was to start over. So we have some cool stuff in there. And we're going to Lake Tahoe in uh, April. Ooh. Went to uh, Scottsdale once. So we're, we like to have fun. Oh my yeah. gosh. I love that. That is cool. so good. We'll link it all in the description. Joey, thank you so much. This is thank really you. valuable, really informative, and such a great chat. Thank you so much. Likewise. Cheers to happy clients. 